uh, take a moment today on behalf of Tim and Pam and Melody. Thank you very much for your expressions of thanks and appreciation. Um, that Tim and I talk about this. <clears throat> Tim and I talk about you guys all the time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, there is no doubt in our mind uh, that you are grateful for us to be here. You take care of us very well, and we are thankful for that. And so uh, these extra expressions of gratitude and thankfulness are appreciated. We wouldn't say certainly that they are necessary, but they are appreciated. So thank you very much. Um, I also have learned something about myself. I don't like standing up here when I'm not the one doing the talking. So thank you for not making us get up and stand up here while you do that because I don't know what it is. I'll stand up here all day and talk, but don't make me stand up here if I don't have to talk. And I also learned that I have two seasons in my wardrobe, Under Armour and Plaid. <laughs> I get teased a lot about Under Armour, but this is the third time today I'm on the screen and I've been wearing plaid and all of them. So I... I know, my wife need, says I need a little variety in my wardrobe, but uh, actually the t-shirt is Under Armour, so <laughs> this, is a, this is a combination day, I guess. I keep telling her the variety is not going to happen. I'm 52 years old, this is what it is, it's probably not going to change, so uh, uh, <laughs> as many of you know, Melody and I are getting ready to head on our vacation here in just a few days. <clears throat> five to be exact, not that I'm counting, but, uh, but I've been thinking about it a lot, and it's a really long drive, and it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of time, so I think I've found something that is going to help us this year with our vacation. I found a website the other day. It's called fakeavacation.com, and it's a real website. If you think I'm making this up just to be funny, I'm not. And I know I'm not funny anyway, so this is a real thing. And for packages starting at $19.99, I can send them a few various pictures of Melody and I, and they will professionally Photoshop us in to various exotic locales around the country and even around the world if we want to pay an extra 10 or 15 bucks. And we can use those pictures to, to share with our friends and family and uh, they could be put on social media and we could say, look at this amazing vacation we've had all the while staying comfortable in our own home and not going anywhere. Um, that's not my idea of a good vacation, but it's a thing. It's a real thing. In fact, let me read this. This is what the, the, the website says. Fake a vacation is perfect for bragging to your friends. And there's a little stat on the website that says 50% of millennials have lied to their friends or family about going on vacation. Now that was curious to me. I don't lie about going on vacation. I take vacation very, very seriously. When I say I'm going, I'm going. Friday morning, if you come to my house, I will not be there because I'm leaving. But what I realized as I read a little bit more and I read some reviews about this, I realized that there are people out there who either can't go on vacation, can't afford to, can't get the time off work, don't want to, but what do they want? They want the attention from their friends and their families to say, 
Oh, wow, look what you did. Look, what, look where you went. I, I'm so jealous of you. But it's all fake. Now, we know, you don't need me to tell you this, you know that we live in a society in general, and the internet in particular, are full of lies and fake stories. This has been going on for decades. In fact, there's a, there's a, uh, a website, some of you may have heard of it, it's called Snopes. Snopes.com. And Snopes' whole reason for existence is they sleuth out and study out uh, stories and journalism and urban legends and they debunk them. They, they show that they're lies. And uh, the founder of Snopes was being interviewed just not too long ago and he said this about our current climate. He said, the lies are coming way faster than we can keep up with. This has been happening for a long time. In 1998, some of you might remember that our then president questioned what the definition of is, is. In 2016, we saw the term fake news coined. And later, Webster's Dictionary called post-truth the word of the year. In 2017, a very well-known political operative in our country came up with the phrase, alternative facts. I like that one. Alternative facts. And Time Magazine had on its cover this article, Is Truth Dead? Just this year, a former politician said, truth isn't truth anymore. How true. Truth of every kind is being assaulted, disparaged, and discredited like never before. And this is not just a societal issue. This is certainly not just a political issue. And I have no desire to talk about politics when we are standing up front here with the Word of God. I want to talk about the truth of the Word of God. But I want you to understand that the battle for the truth is first and foremost a spiritual issue. That's where we are in our country right now. It is a spiritual issue. And 2 Peter is preparing us for this battle. This is our fourth week in 2 Peter, and we saw, first of all, that God has given us faith. Remember what Peter said? We have obtained faith. We can't do this. What separates us from the world in our body here in this church and in other churches that are like-minded in our communities is the truth of the Word of God, the fact that God has chosen us, that He has drawn us, that He has opened our eyes to the fact that we have been living by lies, and that the truth is that only the grace of God in salvation can change us and give us life. That's what Peter said. We have obtained this faith. Then we talked about the fact that we need to progress in this faith. We need to grow in our faith. God wants to change our lives and make us different people. There is another way to live than the way that we have all lived in the past. And then last week, Pastor Tim was talking to us about Peter's passion for the truth and the importance of remembering it and putting it into practice in our lives. You see, the weapon that God has given us to defend ourselves against the enemy's barrage is the truth of the Word of God. 
I feel like we've talked about this more and more over the past couple of years, and we were talking about it in our, uh, the class that we just finished on Thursday nights just this week, and that is that what separates us from so many others is this objective standard of truth that we call the Bible, the Word of God which never changes. A man named uh, Rod Dreher wrote a book called Live Not By Lies. I quoted from it a little bit in our class the last couple of weeks. He said this, If you are not rock solid in your commitment to the truth of Christianity, then the world will break you. But if you are, then this is the solid rock upon which the world will be broken. We must remain committed to the Scripture no matter what the cost, no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens in our lives. And this is what I want you to remember this morning as we talk about this next section of 2 Peter. It is this, that God's Word is the truth always. God's Word is the truth always. Let's look at 2 Peter. If you have your Bible there, listen to what he has to say to us through Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, and look at verse 16. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. I'm going to need you guys to do something for me. I'm going to need to make sure you're going to promise me that you're going to all bring your Bibles, okay, so that you can follow along as we study this. And while I'm gone... I'm a little concerned about Tim's a little wishy-washy on whether he's going to do every verse. So I need you to follow along closely. I'm going to do my part today. We'll see what he does next week when I'm gone. So you hold his feet to the fire. 116, 2 Peter 1.16 says this, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So how many people know that Peter was one of the disciples? Okay, 50%. Not great, but better than nothing. Peter was one of the disciples, right? We talked about that a few years ago, or a few weeks ago. We probably talked about it a few years ago too. So Peter is talking to them. Remember, Peter was one of the guys that helped found the church in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and in that little section of Acts as the church got going. And Peter and the apostles, the disciples, were telling them about Jesus Christ and all he had done and about his return. And Peter is saying, we didn't just make that up. Notice what he says. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths. Now, interestingly, that's what people have said in our culture about the Bible for years. Oh, it's just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of fairy tales. It's just something that somebody wrote a long time ago. It's just like Grimm's fairy tales. You know, it's just a whole bunch of stories that somebody made up. Peter says, these are not stories. How did he know that? What does it say in the verse? Do you have it there? Can you see it? What does it say? How does he know that they weren't stories? What does he say? We were eyewitnesses. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I saw this. I saw Jesus do these things. Peter and James and John and others were privileged to see the power and the glory of Jesus Christ firsthand. Do you know what the first miracle that Jesus did was? 
In John chapter 2, he went to a wedding in a city called Cana, and they ran out of wine, and he turned the water into wine. That was the first one. From the wedding in Cana to healing a blind man, a man who had, been, had not seen since he was born, and he gave him sight. He cleansed lepers. He took a lunchable and multiplied it and made it enough for thousands of people. Don't laugh, that's true. That was a lunchable. There was bread and there was meat, just like the lunchables we buy at the store today, Oscar Mayer. He did that. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They witnessed it with their own eyes. He had been dead for four days. His family said, don't go in there, Jesus. And Lazarus walked out alive. How many times did they see the miraculous power of Jesus Christ? You know what the answer to that question is? We have no idea. Because in John 21, John writes that if he were to write down everything that he saw that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to record them all. They were eyewitnesses. This is no fairy tale, Peter said. I saw it with my own eyes, and I'm not the only one. There were a whole bunches of us that saw him do these things. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son in whom or with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So there are all these uh, miracles that Christ did. They walked with him for three years. They saw all of the stuff. But Peter details one incident in particular. And we call it the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And it's recorded for us in Matthew 17. And if you were to go back to Matthew 17 and just read there for a few minutes, what you would see is that that Jesus was well into his ministry here on earth and, and they were extremely busy. There were, there were people coming to them all the time because the fame of Jesus was spreading all over the place. And people heard that he was doing these miracles. They heard that he was healing blind people and cleansing lepers and, and raising people from the dead. And so they had to come and see it for themselves. So they were incredibly busy and then one day... Jesus sent the crowds away. And he said to Peter and James and John, they were kind of the, the inner circle of the disciples. There were 12 of them, but he did some things with just Peter, James, and John. He said, guys, I want you to come with me. And they went up on top of a mountain. And when they got to the top of the mountain, all of a sudden, Peter and James and John's eyes were opened. And they not only saw Jesus, the man, whom they had walked with for some time at this point, they saw the glory of Jesus. They got a glimpse. Jesus showed them just a little glimpse of his deity, of his glory, of his majesty. 
It says they couldn't, they couldn't hardly look at the brilliance and the glory of Jesus Christ. And while they were with him on the mountain, and they were amazed at what they had seen, all of a sudden there was a voice from heaven. It was God the Father. And he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Father affirmed Jesus' identity as one with him in his nature and his holiness. And so Peter is saying to us, look, I've seen this with my own eyes. It cannot be denied. We have seen the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. It is true. My friends, there are all kinds of churches in our communities, aren't there? All you have to do is drive up and down the road. You see them everywhere. And some of them, I'm so thankful for the ones that teach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are many churches in our community, in our state, in our country, in this world who deny this very thing. And they say, oh yeah, Jesus existed. He was a great guy. He was an amazing teacher. What a role model. But they stop there. Peter says, we cannot stop there, my friends, because the truth is, he was not just a great teacher. He was not just a wonderful role model. He is God himself. Peter says that cannot be denied. But he goes on, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter says, I have something to add to our eyewitness accounts. Notice that it's something even better. Now, if I want to know that something is true, I like a good eyewitness account myself. Holly, as a law enforcement officer, when somebody says, hey, has this happened? What's the best thing you can get, right? Eyewitness. I was there, officer. I saw the whole thing. Presuming that they're telling the truth, right? Peter says, look, we're eyewitnesses. We were there. We saw the whole thing. But here's something even better Something he says, in the verse says, more fully confirmed. That literally means to walk where it is solid. It means something that is unshakable, something that is dependable. What is Peter saying? He's saying this, as reliable as the eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, there is something even more solid. Do you know what it is? It's this. Even more solid than an eyewitness account is the truth of the Word of God. Scripture is even more dependable, Peter says. And he affirms the importance of Scripture. What does he say there to us in the verse? He says, pay attention to it. The phrase pay attention means to set a course and to keep it. I'm not a great woodsman. 
I like to go out in the woods. I like to go bird hunting. Sean and I and a bunch of us others, right, went bird hunting. But I realize something when I get out there on those roads. I realize I'm not like Ben and Tim and Jay and these guys. They drive on these roads once and they know exactly where they are. I realize every single one of those roads up there is identical. They're identical. I have no clue where we are. We're driving around. I was playing this game. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to look like a moron, but I'll just tell you guys because I know you won't tell anybody. I was sitting in the back seat of Tyler's, you know, four-door truck, and Tyler's up front, and he's driving, and I would play a little game. Every time we came to a T, and they said, well, let's head back the way that we came, I would guess which way that was, you know, left or right. I am serious, 90% of the time, I guess wrong. I mean, we would still be up there somewhere if I was driving. The only way I could ever do anything like that is if I had a compass and at least knew if I was going north, south, east, west. That's the picture that Peter is giving us here. Take the word of God, set a course, and stick with it. Pay attention to it. The truth of the Word of God guides us in the way that we should go. And Peter says, we need to keep going in that direction. It's the light that we need in a very dark, fallen world. Notice that he says that. It's a lamp shining in a dark place. My friends, is there any time these days when you are looking around and you are aware of what is going on in the world and you hear some of the things that are being said and you look at some of the things being espoused and you think, what in the world is going on? I mean, I know we have not all always agreed on right and wrong but are there not a few basic facts that we've always been able to agree on that seem to be slipping away from us here? This world is filled with darkness. And what does Peter say? Set your course according to the word of God and stick to it like a lamp in a dark place. The truth of the Word of God is the light that we need to navigate this darkness. How long do we need to do that? Tim says this all the time. He says, whenever I'm not sure what I should do, I just think back to the last time that God told me to do something and I keep doing it. How long are we supposed to keep doing what he has told us to do in his word. Do you know, did you notice when I read the verse? Did you notice? It told us when we can stop. Did you see it? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know what that's a reference to? It's a reference to Revelation 22. Do you know what Revelation 22 says? It's describing what we might call the eternal estate. It's describing the time when you and I and all of those who have trusted Jesus Christ from all generations will be standing in heaven. We will be standing at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what it says there? It says, there is no sun. Well, it's going to be a pretty dark place, right? Wrong. Why? Why is there no sun? Because the light of the glory of Jesus Christ fills it.
This is the flashlight until we get to the true light. This is what we need to navigate the darkness until the day when Jesus Christ fills this world with the light of his glory. That's when we stop. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's interpretation. What do we need to know about the Scripture and its origin? Well, we need to know that Scripture does not originate with men. This is not just some guy's ideas. This is not his version of events. Peter says, no prophecy, that is, no communicating of revealed truth, the truth of the Word of God, comes from someone's own interpretation. That means literally a personal revealing or a loosing of the truth. I want you to get this, folks. This is incredibly important right now. Hear this. The Word of God, the true meaning of the Word of God is evident and can be confirmed by other people. Okay? We change Our culture changes, but the meaning of the Scripture does not change. It doesn't ever change. I want you to know this, and I promise that this is how I am going to teach until the day that I die, and I know that Tim would say the same thing. I am not going to come up with some new revelation, some new truth that no one has ever heard of. That's never going to happen. The truth of the Word of God has been revealed to us by Him. There is no new truth. It's all right here. Now, I may apply the truth of Scripture in a way that you have not heard before. You may not have ever heard someone use that masterful compass illustration I just used. Okay? That may be a first for you. I may look at our lives and what's happening to me or what's happening to you or what's happening to our country and I may apply the Word of God in a way that you have not thought of before. But listen to this. The meaning of the Word of God is constant. It never means something else that it has not meant before. And that meaning doesn't come from me. It comes from God. No matter what is happening in my life and no matter what is happening in your life. Why does Peter say this is the case? Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's because the truth of the Word of God did not originate with humans. What does Peter say? They spoke from God. Now look at that verse for a minute. There's two words I want you to know. Well, actually it's three words. But the word produced and the phrase carried along... In Greek, if you did not know this, the New Testament was written in Greek. It was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And in Greek, those two are the same word. 
in the original language, okay? It's been translated differently for us. Produced and carried along. And those words mean to carry or to bear. Now, here's why I think this word is interesting and I think that we need to note it. Because in the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, Luke used the same word twice that Peter uses here. And do you know how he used it? He was talking about a sailing ship. And he talked about a sailing ship putting up its sails and the wind filling the sails and taking the ship, powering the ship. Why is that important? Why is that interesting? Well, I think it's interesting because it tells me that the writers of Scripture did not power their own writing. Peter didn't sit down and pick up a pen and say, I think I'll write those guys over there a letter today. This is what I want to say. Well, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and said, Peter, pick up your pen and write this. They raised their sails and the Holy Spirit filled the sails and took them to where he wanted them to go. This is confirmed for us in 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And the word inspiration there means that the words of Scripture were breathed out by God. That's what the word inspiration means, breathed out. When Jeremiah was writing his book, he said, The word of the Lord came to me. <laughs> He didn't say, this is what I have to say. He said, the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what it is. Because of this, in Acts 24, the Apostle Paul is standing before Felix, the governor. He's on trial because of his faith. He's on trial for his life. And he says in response to those who are accusing him, this I confess to you, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. The only way to trust, follow, obey, live by the word of God is to believe and know and be convinced that everything in it is the truth. Everything. The absolute bedrock of our faith is that God's word is the truth, always. That's the bedrock of our faith. God's word is the truth, always. There can be no wiggle room. There can be no exceptions. Everything it says in every area of life, this is what I believe. So my question for you this morning is this. Do you believe that? Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to say that every word of the Bible comes from God and I believe it? Here's the problem. If you can't say that, if you can't say, I believe 100% of the Bible is true, I believe that every word in it is the truth, then you got to decide how much of it do you believe. 
You believe 90%? Okay. What 10% don't you believe? And who gets to decide what 10% is not true? Do you decide? Do I decide? Is it every man for himself? Every man, woman, and child? You decide which 90% you want to each their own? If that's the case, then none of it is true. It must be 100%. And if you do believe that, if you are sitting here and you say, yes, I believe the Bible is true, I believe 100% of it is true, then one more question. This is actually the difficult one. Are you living that truth out? Because here's the thing. You must bring your life into line with the truth. Your choices, your lifestyle, your priorities, your desires, you must bring them into line with the Word of God or else your words mean nothing. This may sound a little rough, but I really don't care if you say you believe the Word of God if your life doesn't line up with it. It's just hot air. If you're not willing to do this, if you're not willing to look at the Word of God and then compare it to your life and say, these are the things about my life that need to change, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I know that might sound harsh, but it's actually true. It's the truth. Jesus Christ said in John 14, verse 15, very simply, very directly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're my disciple, you'll do what I ask. If you don't do what Christ asks, if you look at God's word and see what it says and don't bring your life into line with it, then you might be a fan of, of Jesus Christ, you might be an admirer of his, but you're not a disciple. Is there an area of your life that you need to bring into line? Husbands, how do you love your wife? How do you care for her? Do you do it like Christ says, as he loved the church and sacrificed everything for her? Wives, do you lovingly respect your husbands and their leadership in your home as God commands you to? How's your thought life? How are your viewing habits? How's your mouth? How's your language? How's your spending? Are you a true disciple or not? That's the bottom line. See, God's word is absolutely true regardless of what is going on in your life always. And as a true disciple of his, I submit myself to him because he alone is worthy of my adoration and my worship. That's what it means to be a disciple, my friends. God's word is not a prop. It's not something we pick up and bring with us on Sundays or 
leave on the nightstand or leave on the coffee table beside the recliner in case somebody comes over so they can see it. It's the very words of God to us. Will we submit ourselves to him? That is the question.